So if you have your Bibles, open up to chapter 24, starting there in verse 1. It says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came up to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went to relieve himself. David and his men were in the back of the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went away. Then David went out, went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord the King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes and how the Lord delivered you you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you, I said. I said, I would not lay my hands on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hands. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing, uh, nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come or evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hands. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have, you have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. A really intense passage, a lot of, a lot of content to unpack. I'll try to do it as quickly as possible. Uh, how about we have a quick prayer and then see what kind of points we can find from this passage. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have you've blessed us with your word, the example of how to treat our enemies, uh, that we can look towards David and your son, Jesus, Lord, and how we just interact in all our relationships. Uh, you have made the ultimate sacrifice for us, Lord, that I pray that sacrifice can be a light which shines through us as well. And as we read through this passage, Lord, as we look at the deeper meanings that you've given us, I pray, Lord, our hearts can be cut. I pray, Lord, we can be convicted and allow, allow your word to translate into our actions and our lives. I love you, Lord. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. So I have three very quick points. Uh, the first two points 
are about how we can love our enemy. Because that's the theme of this, of this entire passage. David loves his enemy, his ultimate enemy. And so I have here, in order to love our enemy, we need to reconcile, or we need to kind of wrestle between reconciliation and revenge. Uh, we need to resolve, but we still remember. And the final point I have here is more of a, a practical tool in which we can love our enemies. Loving enemies is a challenge. In fact, loving friends can be a challenge sometimes. But we can't do it on our own strength. So we're going to be looking at what it means to have spiritual sights and how that translates into our actions and our relationships. Amen? So starting off here, reconcile versus revenge. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Saul has a very specific strategy for how he approaches his problems. He comes and he crushes it. He has an issue in his relationship. He avoids or he doesn't avoid it, but he pursues it to the point where he just wants to get rid of it completely. Now, David is radically different. And David has every right to kill Saul. His men, in fact, they plead with Saul. They plead with David, sorry. Asking, hey, you know, this is what is within God's will. This is what you should be doing. But David realizes that in order to not be like Saul, he has to pursue reconciliation, not revenge. And you may think to yourself, you know, it, it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard idea. You may think to yourself, I, you know, I have enemies, I have people who have hurt me. People have maybe emotionally or physically or, I don't know, in whatever kind of way abused you. It's a challenging concept to love our enemies. But that's the kind of standard which God demands of us. And it's exactly what we need to be focusing on as well. Because it is the world's standard. It is the world's approach to get rid of our problems. So often we have relationships, maybe outside the church or inside the church, which are strained. We have issues. And we tend to approach it with the world perspective. I'm going to try to rid this person, get rid of it, or I'm going to try to be indifferent to this person. Either way, we disconnect ourselves from that person. And God, the message of the Bible, is all about reconcil reconciling relationships. That's the core message. We have to have a David-like perspective. But it is kind of challenging because we don't always know who our enemies are. It's important to be defining enemy, defining what love is, before we know how to love our enemies. And you may, you may read about David and him being pursued from cave to cave to cave by Saul and think, okay, well, that's definitely an enemy. I don't have anyone pursuing me across the, the Middle Eastern desert trying to kill me. It's not the most relatable scenario. But just because you are not experiencing that type of persecution does not mean you do not have a strange relationship. Everyone here, I would wager, has a relationship which is a challenge. Maybe, maybe, it's your, maybe it's your husband or wife or your girlfriend, boyfriend. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's one of your, one of your children. We as humans, because we are self-centered by nature, tend to have strange relationships. I mean, if, if you, guys, you, don't, you guys don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 5, verse 39, Jesus gives an outline of what it looks like to have an enemy, but also what it looks like to respond to that enemy in a righteous way. It says in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That's the saw approach. But I tell you, do not resist, resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your, hand over your coat as well. 
If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, you do, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have, heard what it, you, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. And so Jesus' main point here is that if we want to be children in heaven, if we want to have a reconciled relationship with God, then our horizontal relationships with, with one another is a factor. There's people who believe their relationship with God is completely disconnected to how they treat other people. That's that's totally false. Our relationship with each other is a reflection of our health and our our relationship with God. So it's something to keep in mind. But Jesus Jesus uses a lot of strong language here. He says in verse 39, anyone who slaps you. Uh, Verse 40, anyone who sues you. Anyone in verse 41, whoever whoever forces you. This is language which... We've got to be careful not to, not to focus too sharply on. These are extreme examples that Jesus is presenting us. So we want to know how to treat our enemies. And yes, once we learn how to treat our enemies with love, yes, surely we can do the same for our friends. You don't slap us. You don't persecute us. This verse is actually quite, quite controversial in some ways. It's especially verse, uh, I believe it's verse 39 where it says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. What does that mean? Many times people have quoted the scripture as a way of encouraging Christian passivity. Being a passive Christian. You get slapped once, you turn the other cheek, hit me again. <laughs> no, goodness. That's, that's, not what about, that's, not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying invite more punishment by turning the other cheek. Okay, he's not saying being a, a human punching bag for people and just be, be steamrolled. No, he's encouraging us to seek reconciliation. When we get slapped once, we turn the other cheek seeking a kiss, seeking forgiveness, seeking to have that relationship restored. That's the type of, that's the type of approach Jesus takes. It's not just about the people who physically abuse you. It's, you we have to examine our hearts. We have to examine our, our, our relationships as a whole. I, I have people, I remember there's a funny story last week where I went to McDonald's and I ordered, you know, I ordered some burger, I don't know, but I was expecting meat in my burger, which is a fair <laughs> enough assumption. But alas, I don't, I don't get meat. As I look at Byron in disbelief, I'm like, what? And so I send it back. And they, they give it back, they bring it back to me, and they give me some chips as a, you know, as a sorry, and I'm looking at, and looking at it again. And alas, there's still no meat. And at this point, my, I could feel my blood boil. Oh, maybe, that's a, maybe that's a cholesterol from their burgers. But I know for a fact that I, the whoever was making that burger on the other side of that counter, in some sense, was my enemy now. <laughs> because my, the disposition of my heart was very much so against that person. Absolutely, and maybe, maybe you have a similar uh, example in your life, maybe you don't. But we have to learn to examine our hearts, because Jesus, God, while we were his enemies, he comes down to reconcile us to him. He pays the ultimate sacrifice. He gives everything for the pure sake of having our, our relationship with him healed. I mean, that's, that's the nature of who God is. And 
sure, I wanted my, the meat in my burger really badly. But my goodness, my, that person's transgressions against me are nothing compared to my transgressions against God. A lifetime of sin against God. Guys, when we keep our perspective on how God has helped us, it becomes way easier, way easier to forgive other people. And that's why it says here, uh, just a bit higher uh, in verse 9, or a bit higher in that Matthew passage, sorry. Uh, in verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We, we, we have to be thinking, are we, are we peacemakers in our relationship? Are, are we people who, who go out and try to heal relationships? Oh, do we spark, do we spark more, 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 more issues? Do we, we further divide ourselves from people? As Christians, we are called to be peacemakers. And we see David do exactly this. And think about what David does. In 1 Samuel, uh, the, uh, yeah, in the first Samuel passage, passage from verse 6 to 11, in verse 6, David spares Saul's life. Remarkable. I can only imagine David's men being like, what are you doing? Man, this, is, this is the former, this is, this is the king who has pursued you around the desert, the king who has slandered your name. David was formerly a high-ranking official in, the, in Israel's army. He has songs of praises sung about him. He was married to the king's daughter, best friends of the king's son. And now he's hiding in the cave which the king is using for his business? The temptation is to kill Saul off. But David does not just stop by sparing Saul. He goes even further. And I would, just, I would love to see David's men's reactions to this. When David follows Saul out of, the, out of the cave, he falls prostrate on his face. Oh my goodness, what, what a sign of humility. He, he continues on to say to Saul, he refers to Saul as my lord the king. And then later in verse 11, he says, my father. I mean, think about the approach David has taken to his relationship with Saul. He doesn't respond, he doesn't give back evil for evil. No, David's focus is to be restored to his, in his relationship with Saul. And he, he clothes himself with humility. I mean, this, this is what we need, guys. We, we need to have a, a humility which not only, goes, not, not only we have, but we, we, need, we need it to be so intense, so strong, that it emits from us and it changes other people's stances towards us. It's kind of it's crazy. Saul's response we haven't seen a lot of humility demonstrated by Saul up to this point. I mean, he's gone from bad to worse. He's been the ultimate rebel of God. But here we see a genuine insight to what might be humility in Saul. And that's a practical tip, guys. When we, when we clothe ourselves with humility, humility is indeed contagious. It does, it does tend to uh, impact those people around us. But with that being said, it is easy to think to ourselves, loving our enemy, in order to love our enemy, we need to take on an ideology of forgive and forget, which is not biblical at all. A theme in the Bible is that there is always a consequence for sin. And we'll look at that in 2 Samuel, uh, probably quite a few weeks down the track, where David sins terribly. And yes, indeed, there is a consequence for that sin. He is forgiven. That relationship with God is restored. But the, the consequences don't vanish. And that's something to keep in mind because 
We resolve, but we remember also. Don't, don't get into the trap of thinking, okay, I'm resolved with this person. Now suddenly my perception of them has to completely change. That's, that's not how it's going to work. Think about your relationship with God. You get saved, you're baptized, restored into God's family. And then probably within two weeks, how many sins have you done? We have to have these expectations, realistic expectations of people. People don't change overnight. But restoration has to be immediate. We have to be eagerly seeking it out. And David, and he does this, ex- he does this perfectly. He, um, he, uh, David loves Saul, yet he still remembers who Saul is. I mean, Saul at this point has not exactly kept his word. Saul, one, one, one chapter, is quite pleased with David, willing to have David in his household. And next chapter after that, throwing spears. I mean, that's fresh in David's mind. You'll notice at the end of this chapter, even after, even after uh, Saul has had this large, humble response, does David stick around? Heck no. He's probably going to get speared in the morning. Yes, yes, we have to be willing to resolve, but we have to remember that people do not change overnight. There's a level of shrewdness that comes to us resolving and reconciling our relationships. And also, David does not forget what Saul has done. And if you look there, it says um, uh, in verse 11, I have not wronged you, but you, have, you are, but you are hunting me down to take my life. David, David's not going to let that go. Not, it doesn't just disappear, that sin. That's, that sin still stays prevalent. But what does change is that the focus or the subject of who delivers vindication changes. For a Saul-like approach, vindication, uh, uh, revenge, comes from self. I'm going to deal with this relationship on my own terms. I'm going to decide how this goes down. But a David-like approach, a Jesus-like approach, doesn't focus on self-vindication. It allows vindication to come in the, in the, in the way of God. And, and Romans 12, uh, verse 17 to 21, is a perfect example of this. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the mic. <laughs> it says there in verse 17, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. It's kind of like what we're talking about here. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. And this is the core, the core verse right here. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If he, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome, do, not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And he's... Pretty much what David says in 1 Samuel, in verse 12, he says, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Be careful. Who is, who is the, the real, who, who's dictating our relationships here? You trying to resolve your own relationships in your own strength, on your own terms? will only, only result in you further damaging that relationship. There has to be an element of God in the equation. If you look for retribution on your own terms, I, I promise you, you will go too far. You will be unjust. 
We have to leave it up to God. If David can do it, I bet we can do it as well. But how, how do we love our enemies? It's, it's, it's a challenge. Practically, what do we need to love our enemies? And the solution here, as is many solutions to our, as, as, as is the solution to many problems, is we need to fixate on God. God's love and God's mercy. Like I mentioned earlier, if our relationship with God is strong, then resolving our relationships with people becomes far, far easier. And so I have right here, we need spiritual sights. We need, we, need to be, we need to be looking carefully to make sure that we are embodying God, Jesus, as we approach reconciling our relationships. Uh, I think to myself, uh, just all that humility, humility that David takes on. Humility doesn't come naturally to people. I'm sure some people have experienced that at some point. Okay? Most of us will understand that humility is a challenge. But like I mentioned earlier, humility is contagious. But where does humility come from? Ultimately, it comes from our relationship with God. When we firmly see our place in relationship, in relationship, in relation to God, sorry, we understand what it, what it feels like to be humble. My goodness, God would forgive you despite your sins? God would send his son down to forgive everything for you? Allow you to have a place in his household, in his kingdom? If our perspective is firmly fixated on that, then having a humble attitude towards our recon- reconciling our relationships is so much easier. And I have here, um, I have up here Jackie Robinson, uh, who's an extremely famous uh, baseball, formerly famous, I believe he's not around anymore, but in the early 20th, early 20th, 20th century. And uh, what he was famous for, well, he was a great baseballer, but he was also the, one of the first, or well, the first, uh, black men who actually went ahead and competed in, in Major League Baseball. It was, if you know his story, that was tough. The, the amount of abuse, hate he received purely for the color of his skin. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable. I was reading his biography and... Um, it talks about how he would have you know, death threats or death uh, letters, uh, people driving past his apartments where he was staying, you know, throwing bricks and stuff. You know, imagine playing baseball with a crowd hurling racial slurs at you. But what struck me as really convicting is Jackie Ron- Robinson's response to those people. He would go out and he would be silent. He would just play baseball. And he was in a team of like 30 or so men. And these men who were also, you know, in, in a bit confused as to why there was a black man on their team. And there was also areas of contention. There was confusion and hostility. But what happened is Jackie Robinson would go out game after game, take abuse again and again, and humility, not response, not fight evil with evil. What would happen is his team began to come over. And those hearts began to change because humility was modeled by Jackie Robinson. When we model humility in the way we act, in the way we speak, it is so hard to be our enemies. Some people still try, but it becomes far more challenging. And so I have here three components of God that we can, uh, that we can learn from or that we can keep our eyes fixated on uh, in order to allow us to reconcile our relationships and the first one I have here is God's patience. Like I mentioned earlier, God is extremely patient. 
In 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And consider the fact that Saul was king over Israel for over 40 years. That's, that's mind-blowing. The obvious question is, why? Why? Why would God not, not just remove him? He's clearly not a great king. And clearly God intends to do it with David. But why the 40 years? And the answer is in that passage, that God desires for everyone to come to repentance. God gives ample opportunity for everyone above and beyond for you to change your lives. You've got to understand that if, if we need to take on that type of patient attitude as well with our relationships. You can, you can be humble. You can seek reconciliation. And it won't always go the way you want it to. It won't. Sometimes people still desire conflict, still desire to be disconnected from you. But we have to have God's patience in this matter because God will fulfill his promises. Maybe not in our timing. Definitely wasn't in the timing of David's men. But my goodness, it will happen. And secondly, I have here is God's plan. And when you, when you think about Saul pursuing David around, I'm, I'm sure it would have been challenging for David within that moment to see God's larger plan and picture. It would definitely would have been times David was like, hey man, I'm, I'm your anointed. Why am I being chased from cave to cave here? And the answer is in Psalms 51, uh, verse 16, which it says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings my sacrifice, O Lord, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And what David surely would have realized later in life is those years of Saul persecuting him, abusing him, were part of a larger plan for God to grow David's character. I have a, I have a great quote here from my Gene Edwards where it says, uh, King Saul sought to destroy David, but his only success his only success was that he became the instrument of God to put to death the Saul who roamed around in the caverns of David's own soul. If there was no King Saul pursuing David, perhaps David would have been King Saul. Perhaps he goes on, he lives a selfish, tyrannical uh, life, focused on self. God is using Saul to help David grow. In some sense, he's building David up breaking that spirit down so that he is ready to lead Israel when the time comes. And you maybe have the same kind of mentality in your relationships. You may not see the larger plan of the conflicts of people hating you, people fighting against you, of the strife and disconnection you have in your relationships. But there is a larger plan to it. Maybe think to yourself, how is this growing my character? How is this impacting? How is this changing me? Because I guarantee you, if you have conflict with somebody, your pride will be exposed. It's a natural way. That's how it happens. And when your pride gets exposed, it can be corrected if you desire to be. Just keep that in mind. And the final one I have here is God's power. And this closely connects to the idea of, of the Lord's anointed. And if you've been around charismatic churches for a while, you've probably heard the term Lord's anointed before. Right? It's a term which is kind of used very vaguely, very broadly, but not in this passage. 
David is referring to Saul, the man who has been anointed by oil over his head by a recognized prophet of God in Samuel. In the same way, David has also been anointed. Don't, don't get confused as to who's, who Lord's, the Lord's anointed is. Many people will interpret the Lord's anointed in a certain way, but I would encourage you to regard that interpretation in the same way that David regards the interpretation of God's word by his men in the cave. It's like, uh, no. Yeah? The Lord's anointed, it is... When, when, when David talks about the Lord's anointed, he is recognizing that the Lord has a plan for Saul. I mean, David has... Oh, sorry. God has given Saul a specific purpose when, he, when Saul was anointed. And that's why David, when he cuts off a, a, bit, of, a, a bit of his... Uh, uh, gown of, I don't know, robe. I mean, he's convicted. He is conscience-stricken. Because he realizes, that, he realizes that him acting against the Lord's anointed is paramount to him rebelling against God. It's David, in, in, in a sense, it's David saying, hey, I'm going to try to take the kingdom on my own terms and not wait for the plans of God to come to fruition. I mean, we have to trust in God's power to deliver his promises. Because it's, it's high stakes here. I mean, we, we don't want to be rebelling against God in order to achieve our own purposes. It's the way of the world. The world says, you know, resolve your relationships in this way. Fight back. Be indifferent. Fix it on your own terms. But unless we are firmly fixed on God's power and his ability, ability to change hearts, there's, there is no way to restore our relationships fully. It all starts and ends with God. So the question I have here, here for you, just as, as we finish off, is what are your relationships like? Are your relationships characterized by disunity, conflict, anger, hatred? Or are they characterized by peace? Are you someone who seeks out and tries to make peace with people? That's the calling that we have. That's the calling that God has given, given us as once, we came, once we became uh, sons and daughters of Christ. And so just as, yeah, just as we finish off here, we need to, we need to learn to reconcile and not, not take revenge, okay? Uh, Counter-attacking people is, is not the way to go. In order to restore our relationships, we need to clothe ourselves in humility. Always remembering that even though we are resolved, even though we are seeking resolution, it does not change the fact that the fact that God is the one who vindicates. Sin does not just vanish. Have realistic expectations for people, okay? And finally, we need to keep our eyes firmly fixated on God, recognizing that God is forever patient, He has a larger plan for us, and He is all-powerful. Amen? How about we have a quick prayer, and then we can... Uh, have some more songs. Uh, Heavenly Father, yeah, I thank you so much. We have your example of uh, uh, your son, Lord, who, who has done everything for us, Lord. Whilst we were still enemies, whilst we were disconnected for, from you because of our sin, uh, you sent down the ultimate sacrifice to atone for us. I thank you so much for all you do, Lord. I pray that your love and your grace and your mercy that you've given us can spill out from us into our relationships in this world. I pray, Lord, that we can humbly assess our relationships, recognize where we have enemies, 
where we have strained, strained friendships or strained, uh, strained relationships in, in our family and that we can seek to resolve and be peacemakers. Uh, I thank you for the example of David, that we can really uh, represent him or uh, reflect him to the fullest amount, Lord, and that as we go out uh, and leave from the sermon, Lord, that we can uh, keep your word on our minds, on our hearts always. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen.